1: Mentally yours from Ellen and Eve. Focus on your mental health, you surely
0: won't regret it. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. mentally yours, mentally yours, mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen.
1: And I'm back. And this week we're chatting to Joanna Cannon. She worked as a junior doctor before specializing in psychiatry. She's now a writer, best known for The Trouble with Goats and Sheep, and also Three Things About Elsie, and Breaking and Mending. Her latest book called A Tidy Ending is out now, but we're going to be chatting to her about her agoraphobia.
2: The first time I ever had a panic attack, I was about eight years old and I was in assembly at my junior school. And I just remember feeling very weird. I didn't know what it was. I just felt odd and I just wanted to get out. Um, and this kept happening to the point where I didn't want to go into assembly anymore. And my parents took me to the GP and the GP gave me some magic medicine, in inverted commas, that would make me feel better. Whatever was in this magic medicine, I do not know, whether it was a placebo or what it was, I have no idea, but it worked and I was fine. And I was fine until I was probably about, I don't know, 16, 17, something like that. And I went to church and I'd had flu. And I was in that horrible stage where you're kind of too well to lie in bed all day, but not quite well enough to do stuff. And you have to kind of force yourself. And I forced myself to go to church and I had a massive panic attack in the church. I started to feel really unwell, really kind of faint and nauseous and hot. And I got that awful feeling that you get when you're going to pass out, when you get a buzzing in your ear and it feels like everything is really far away. And I started feeling like that. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I can't walk out. If I walk out, what will people think? Um, Obviously, they would think nothing. But as a teenager, you think all eyes are upon you. Um, So I had to stick it out and it was awful. Um, And it felt so claustrophobic in there. I felt so trapped and vulnerable. And eventually I managed to get out legitimately, along with everyone else, into the churchyard. And I took these huge gulps of there, And I thought, I am never going in there again. God will forgive me because um, it was horrible. And it, it's not a place I want to be. I don't want to feel trapped like that again. And the trouble is when you don't stand up to something like anxiety or a panic attack, um, it creeps into other areas of your life. And it's very difficult to stand up to it especially when you're young it's much easier to say I won't do that again because it it causes me stress I'll, I'll avoid that thing and so I began avoiding other things because I was worried it would happen again so I started avoiding going to the supermarket for example because I thought what if I have a panic attack in the supermarket and I have to leave all my shopping and walk out what will people think obviously again they would think nothing um but a teenager doesn't doesn't look at life that way um and my world got smaller and smaller and smaller until I didn't really want to leave the house and then I didn't really want to leave my room and I built a kind of world within a world where I felt safe because agoraphobia although I had no idea what I had I I didn't know what was wrong with me because this is in the days before the internet um agoraphobia is a, a, a strange thing like you know officially the meaning of agoraphobia is fear of marketplaces fear of open spaces but really, when I talk to other people who've experienced this personally, and professionally, it's a fear of being trapped somewhere, a fear of not being able to get out. And so you feel safe in your house. You feel um, secure as though nothing can get to you. And although I did still have panic attacks in the house, at least I was in my safe environment. And I think that's that's the thing with, with agoraphobia and with, with anxiety. You want to be in a familiar, safe place where you feel able to deal with it. Did people in your life know what was going on at that point? They did. I mean, my mum and dad, obviously I was living with my mum and dad and, mm. and they understood what I was going through. My mum has experienced anxiety. Um, my dad is a very was a very calm, um, non-anxious person, thankfully, but my mum had been through it. So my dad knew exactly where I was headed with it, and he very gently tried to encourage me to go out. But obviously you you have the the idea in your head that you need to stay safe, that the outside world is filled with danger and perceived threat and every time you leave the house you start having this huge panic attack um so it's much easier to stay inside and to stay somewhere safe so I did I mean they they got me help I saw my GP I saw a hypnotherapist I saw all sorts of people but in those days anxiety wasn't treated as readily as it is now it was something people tended to put up with you know we're talking quite a, a few decades ago now and it's you know, now you would go to your GP. They'd refer you. They'd refer you to CBT. They'd refer you to community services if it if it was kind of altering your quality of life to to a degree. Um, but with me, it was just like we we just muddled along, and I just ended up, like I say, building a world within a world.
0: I think what you said there about there being kind of an outside threat and wanting to stay home and be in a kind of a safe space. I think a lot of people will experience will have experienced that with um, COVID, obviously. Um, and the tricky thing with that was there actually was a threat outside. It wasn't um, a completely kind of irrational, uh, you know, completely anxiety-driven thing. So how did that affect you when we were told, actually, yes, you do need to stay home, you do need to go into lockdown
2: again? Well, it it seemed to kind of prove my teenage self right um, because, you know, all those years ago, and I did eventually get over it, I did kind of treat myself and I got up one day and I thought, you know, I've had enough of this. This is getting on my nerves now. All my friends are moving on and moving forward and I'm just sitting here. And I very slowly began to build my confidence and go out again. And it just became a thing of the past. It was always there. It was always the, I think anybody out there who's experienced anxiety and overcome it, it's always in the landscape somewhere, and it, it would it would kind of get to me sometimes if I hadn't had enough sleep or if I hadn't eaten properly and I was kind of in a weakened state. I would get those little kind of threads of anxiety running through my mind, but I always knew how to deal with them because I was familiar with it. So I went for years and years with nothing to worry about. I would get on a train, go to London, do all sorts of things. Um, but then, obviously, like you say, COVID hit, and we were being told to stay inside. Um, which I was more than happy to do because even though I wasn't agoraphobic, I'm still the world's most dedicated homebody. So I was more than happy to stay inside. Um, You know, Chris Whitty was standing there saying, stay home and save lives. And I thought, right, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I didn't think I'd got agoraphobia again. I thought I was just following government guidelines. But then after all the lockdowns and all the the stress and the the trauma that everyone went through, I started seeing people venturing out again as, as kind of restrictions lifted. I would scroll through Instagram and I would see people going to cafes and restaurants and booking holidays and seeing their friends, all the things that we wanted to do that we couldn't do. Um, And everybody was so happy they were allowed to do them again. And I sat there and I thought, actually, you know, I'd rather just stay here. And I realized very quickly that agoraphobia had in fact returned to my life, but it was very uh, cleverly hidden behind a pandemic. But when the pandemic was kind of removed as much as it was, uh, I realised that actually my anxiety had come back again because now I'd got used to living in the house.
1: How are you dealing with this now in terms of the process of of getting back out there? Because I really related to what you said earlier on about. I don't know. I've still found I found it quite a, a struggle, and I was quite sort of outgoing into lots of stuff before the pandemic.
2: I sat there when all these kind of things were coming on Instagram, and and people were people started inviting me to things, and obviously it's my my job as an author. People started inquiring about events and was I doing book signings and was I going to any festivals? And I sat in and I thought, no, I can't do that. I couldn't imagine even walking into Sainsbury's, let alone getting on a train and going to London or Edinburgh or wherever I was supposed to be going. And then a really amazing opportunity came up to present a radio programme. And I'd never done anything like that before. I'd never presented, written and presented something before. But it involved going to Birmingham which isn't too far away from me, but it, it seems a long way when you've been in the house for two years. And I sat there and I thought, you know, I can either let this anxiety take over my life again, as it did when I was a teenager, which would be very easy um, to do. It would be a, a kind of an easy route, a simple, quick, easy route. and I could just say to people, no, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not doing these things anymore. Or I can grit my teeth and I can get on a train And I can go there and I can carry on with my life. And I thought all the things that we've been through, and this is going to sound so cheesy, but it's what I thought. I thought all the things that we've been through, all the terrible things people have been through during COVID. And there was a school friend I had called Susan, exactly my age, who died from COVID um, during the pandemic. And I thought, what Susan would give to be here now to face this challenge, I am so lucky. I'm so privileged that I've managed to get through this, because so many people haven't. And I thought, what is the worst thing that can happen? And that is a, a a CBT technique, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. You sit there in a in a situation you're anxious about, and you say, what is the worst thing that can happen, and how would I deal with it? And the problem is with with agoraphobia is it doesn't have a threat. It doesn't have Specific thing that you're frightened of, you just know that if you go out there, you feel terrible. Um, but COVID was a specific thing, and I thought, We got through this, I got through this, let's not allow this landscape to steal any more of my life away from me. I've got to get on the train, I've got to do this, and so that's what I did. Um, and it wasn't easy, and I had to do a lot of talking to myself and a lot of kind of trying to be rational. Um, but I did it, and If you start doing small things, if you're stuck in the house, if you're stuck in your room, if you just do one small thing, it's incredible how quickly those building blocks happen and you start doing another thing and another thing. And I found that when I was a teenager and I got myself out of being in the house all the time. And I found it after the pandemic that as soon as I'd been to Birmingham, I was euphoric. I came back from Birmingham. I was like on top of the world. Um, I thought I did it and you have to acknowledge that you've done it all these small things that you do we're very good at, at, at focusing in on the failures and the things that we give up on but we're not very good at patting ourselves on the back for doing something because facing up to anxiety and facing up to a panic attack or agoraphobia or whatever you you live alongside of facing up to it and staring it in the face and tackling it is an incredible achievement and if you manage to do that in just one small way um, you need to sit there and really acknowledge yourself.
0: I think something that's interesting is that back when you experienced agoraphobia and anxiety for the first time I know you said that the kind of landscape of how we talked about mental health was completely different it really wasn't covered the treatment options weren't very good Um, but you then went on to work as a doctor did that Change your own understanding of your mental health, or change how you treated yourself in any way. Kind of having that base of knowledge,
2: um, I think it did. I think studying medicine, if any doctors out there, we get quite paranoid about our own health. Whenever you're in a lecture theatre and you're reading about a disease or hearing about a disease, you assume you have it because you start experiencing the symptoms. So sometimes a lot of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Um, but as far as psychiatry goes, I think having it's kind of the reverse really because having personal experience of anxiety um which matt haig incidentally once described as anxiety is depression on fast forward and that's the best uh definition of anxiety i've ever heard because it truly is um so anybody who's experienced anxiety and depression who then goes on into psychiatry or in any kind of role that deals with mental health patients or service users that's a well that you can drink from because it gives you a very privileged position that you understand what it feels like and although you might not be treating people who have exactly the same problem that you had or have um you are treating people who've had a similar sense of isolation because that's the thing that brings us all together whatever mental illness you have walked alongside of during your life It's the isolation that's the common factor with all of us. There is nothing more isolating than mental illness, in my opinion. You know, lots of other illnesses, as terrible, as debilitating as they are, there's huge support and huge compassion and huge understanding. But if you have a mental illness, although this end mental health stigma and all these hashtags and be kind T-shirts and people speaking out about it and wonderful programmes like this, If you ask somebody with schizophrenia or bipolar or severe OCD if they feel stigmatized and isolated, I guarantee you they will say yes, because that's what unites everyone with mental illness. And I think if you're working with people with severe mental illness and you have experienced any mental illness of your own or even secondhand through a member of your family or a loved one or a friend, it gives you a unique perspective because you are linked to that person because you understand completely what it feels like to feel alone and isolated as though nobody has ever walked in those shoes.
1: Can we go back um, to where we started which was you talking about um, your panic attack at eight years old and you've also touched on there the fact that we talk a lot more about mental health and there is more awareness. Um, I wondered if you had any thoughts on how we could better support children struggling with mental health issues these days.
2: I think it it should start at a young age. It should start with uh, education and discussion. I think there's there's no discussion about mental, as far as I know, and as far as I've seen, about mental illness and mental health at school. Um, I think there is a, a wonderful um, initiative where people are now training as mental health first aiders, which is an incredible thing, um, and I wish. That was realm, when I'd, I'd suffered of anxiety, but sadly not. But I think things like that, initiatives like that, communication and understanding, because we still have a hell of a long way to go to accept that mental illness isn't a separate thing to physical illness. It's all connected. You know, when I've worked in hospitals and I've worked on mental health units and on wards, patients don't just have mental illness. They also have physical problems as well, because very often people with severe mental illness have perhaps neglected their physical health because they've been too poorly to look after themselves so very often people will have comorbidities and you have to order the physical health notes from another part of the hospital a different building and bring them over to you because they're seen as such separate things but the mind and the body are so intertwined um but we've we've got a long way to go to accept that and i remember a few months ago on twitter i'd had a really bad day with anxiety it just hit me for some reason Um, which happens from very rarely, but from time to time. And I went online and I said to them, I've had a really awful day, I feel terrible. And so many people were tweeting me and saying, what you need is a couple of paracetamol and plenty of fluids. Because they assumed that it was a physical health problem. And nobody for one second would think it was a mental health problem. Whether that's because people assume you don't talk about it, or whether we're just trained to ignore that side of our health. Um, I think that that was quite a telling thing for me. The very kind people trying to trying to say the right thing, but obviously the idea of mental illness and a bad mental health day uh, didn't really occur to them. Um, and I think it's, it's small things like that that we need to to bring into the conversation to be able to talk about things and accept that our mental health is equally as important as our physical health. And if we can do that from a young age, I think that would be incredible because then you would get a generation of people who were happy and open to talk about it and didn't think anything else about it you know it's it's a, a society where if if we do something for our physical health if we run the london marathon or lower our blood pressure or lose some weight if the doctors told us that we need to everyone pats us on the back but if we do something for our mental health if we do something creative whatever that might be painting or writing or reading or or just sitting in the garden look at the birds That's protective of our mental health, but people see that as quite self-indulgent and something that we should only do if we've done all our other jobs. And I think it's that divide between mental and physical that needs addressing and it needs addressing early on.
1: Jo, can you tell us a bit um, about your writing now and how your own sort of mental health struggles influence your writing?
2: Um, I started writing as a therapy, really. Um, I started writing in my car in my lunch break when I was working as a doctor Um, just as an escape from from all the suffering and the illness and the terrible things that we all see as doctors. You know, some doctors play golf or cricket or rugby, and I I didn't want to do any of those. So I I sat in my car and I I started writing just for fun. And I think that, as I was saying earlier, that creativity is a, a huge protective factor for mental health. And I think writing is a way of kind of sorting through your thoughts and making sense of them um and I would advise anyone whether you've any intention of being published or not even if you were the only person who'll ever read it I think writing things down really helps because it really does kind of iron out your mind and, and get your thoughts in order and sometimes I will write things and I think oh that's why I wrote that because that makes sense now and I will sit and reflect on what I've written and, and it, it kind of mirrors back at me what I what I was thinking at the time so I just wrote for fun, and I had no idea it was going to be published. I thought my mum might read it, um, and I entered it into a competition, and I won the competition, and I got an agent, and the agent sold it to HarperCollins, and that was the book that became The Trouble with Goats and Sheep, which was my debut. And I've written another book since, then called Three Things About Elsie, and my third novel is out twenty eighth of April, and it's it's called A Tidy Ending, and all my books have in common um they're all about ordinary people and ordinary lives because I find those the most interesting um the tidy ending is about a woman called Linda who lives on a very ordinary estate with a husband that she doesn't really think she loves anymore if she ever did and they've moved into a new house and she starts receiving mail for the woman who used to live in the house um who led a very glamorous life who um has got all these brochures coming of, of fantastic furniture and Clothes and makeup, and Linda's looking at these brochures and thinking, This is the life that I should have had. So, it's a book about envy. Um, It's a book about how the grass isn't always greener and be careful what you wish for. But the basic kind of theme of the book is envy. Um, And the idea for that actually came when I was working in psychiatry, and I used to do a lot of outpatient clinics. And I'd see a lot of people with anxiety and depression. And as part of the history, I'd say to them, You know, can you remember how this all started? And so many people would say, well, it started with something I saw on Facebook. And it started with comparison and it started with looking at other people's lives and feeling as though your life falls short um, and feeling as though you're inadequate and you're not good enough. And of course, we're only seeing the show reel of someone's life. We're seeing the curated version. We're not seeing the cutting room floor. But we do. We compare ourselves. It's human nature. And you know some people might not find that a problem but it it can lead you down a very dark path and that was the inspiration you know for a tidy ending that that comparison is the thief of joy and there is no happy ending to consumerism and you know we're all constantly comparing ourselves to each other which which is really not a healthy way to live
1: From mentally, 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 mentally yours. mentally yours. mentally, yours. mentally yours. If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 16-123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org. You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS, and you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week.